but so I'm gonna do a little like intro and everything so we don't have to uh, we can like if, if you want to talk about the stuff that you do like the, the, yeah. the uh, like maybe maybe at the end because I'm just thinking we're, we can just get into um, stuff just get into stuff like right away yeah okay um, so I was just you know I explained to you off mic that I was interested to just kind of have conversations with people uh, around mental health and, and you know just kind of as almost getting sort of information in there and, and using the the stuff that I've been looking into and, and researching and also just I'm curious and I'd like to know sort of more so I guess just this is a very broad and general question so answer however you want but um, I, I'm just I'm also I'm really curious about the relationship between that there is or that exists between you know from the neurological perspective and you know mental health and what's sort of like going on there yeah. I mean if you want to maybe do say a little bit about your background so you right. people know context of you know your expertise well so uh I guess I mean my background is there's a lot there, but um, I'll start with what I was doing in my PhD because when I was doing my PhD in neuroscience and psychology, I was studying um, essentially mental health um, in laboratory animal models. So we we were a lab that was looking at anxiety and depression. So my research specifically um, was more involved in the anxiety side, but I was also involved in like some of my side projects involve depression. So we kind of thought of them as two separate things, but the more that I was studying it, and the more that I would see things happening in the models that I was using, the more it seemed clear to me that they were sort of similar um, mental health conditions, but at different ends of it, and that one might precipitate the other one. And um, specifically the way I, I sort of view anxiety and depression is that um, anxiety is very much related to like stress um, and, the, and the fear system so um, there's a lot of um, repeated stressors that can happen in our lives and that also seems to predict depression and it also seems like um, the more stressful experiences that you have um, that can sort of shut the system down mm which feels a lot like a state of depression. Um, anyway, so my, we can talk more about that if you're interested, but generally, you know, I, I feel very um, interested in anxiety and depression, particularly from the research perspective that I took, but also because it's just such a common experience for mm. people. And I do mean clinical, but also subclinical experiences of anxiety and depression. So mm -hmm. myself, and also my work as a life coach, I, I talk about these issues with a lot of people in my life coaching too. Yeah, and I, I like in terms of like anxiety and depression, especially as, you know, wherever those are rooted in, if it's their memories are formed, childhood or experiences or something like that but I was interested about how we talked about those pathways before of how or and, and patterns I guess yeah. that are formed that are like to me it was a revelation when you talked when you told me about that that it's like oh no there's actually a biological thing kind of happen happening when you're experiencing 
these mm-hmm. feelings like anxiety and, and depression. Yeah, yeah, so that's a good point. I guess to answer your first questions, like what is the relationship between mm. those? Um, like, so be, because of my knowledge in neuroscience and all the work that I've done, it's so obvious to me that, you know, there, that there's such a strong relationship. Like, anxiety and depression have a biological base. Like, it is, it's not question. Like, there is a biological base to that. And so when I see people, um, so the challenge becomes for other people not being able to see that there's a relationship. So for you, for example, you know, you've heard of, you had heard of anxiety and depression, uh, didn't really know what it actually meant or what the, what those feelings were. And a lot of people are walking around feeling that same thing. And, and so then I think that contributes to the stigma yeah. because people think that it's just this thing in your, in your head, which doesn't even mean to them a thing in your brain. Like mm. they just think, oh, it's something, it's like a character flaw. Right. And you know, that's so, it's so interesting because I've been going through a, uh, CBT course and it's, they're talking all about that exact thing of, uh, you, you, you don't have to necessarily just because it's all like how we interpret things Mm -hmm. and, uh, or a situation or when somebody says something to us and part of a big thing that I'm getting, taking away is it's like, Oh, you don't just have to accept that that's the way something makes you feel. Yeah. Is that you can actually, th- that it is something, it is a pattern that's that has been sort of formed. Yeah. And so the, the way patterns form is it's learning. So yeah. like our brain, you know, we talk a lot about neuroplasticity. That's mm. what, you know, it's kind of a popular uh, concept within neuroscience, even in the popular press. But neuroplasticity is just the brain changing. And, and the, how the brain changes is that it's learning. Mm-hmm. So it's very adaptive. So things are happening to us all the time. We experience a lot of learning when we're kids and our brain is going through like huge changes. But that learning continues throughout our lifetime. Yeah. Uh, it changes form and it's you know maybe not as much, but uh, we're still learning all the time. So, so we're learning things. We're learning to associate things. We're learning um, that you know, when I make this reaction, I get this reaction from my parents, Mm. you know, you know, I think about my three-year-old and, you know, he learns that when he cries, I, he gets my attention, you know, Mm -hmm. so then crying becomes something, it becomes a pattern, Mm -hmm. you know, or if it's really bad, it's like screaming, having a temper tantrum gets me that chocolate bar that I wanted, right? Yeah. So these are the things that we learn and then that's how those patterns grow inside of us and then the way we continue those patterns is because the brain has already adapted so it's made the changes and it makes those patterns easier in the future Mm -hmm. those are the sort of like the grooves that we have the like it's it's easy you know and yeah i guess it works both ways that if as a child you're saying you realize oh if i want this thing i can do this and i'll kind of get it or it doesn't have to be conscious either. Right. It just it's the brain's doing this. It's acquiring all this. And, and I like you're saying. I'm I'm, a, I'm sort of thinking like, is it also also a, a, you're learning how to communicate? Yep. In a way, I absolutely. Guess. Especially yep. as a child, if you can't talk yet or you can't just ask for something, you have to kind of figure out how to do this. I wonder, does this work both ways? Then, like, say as you grow up, that it can work in a negative way, mm-hmm. where I just think like for myself and my own personal experience there's times when I'm feeling depression and 
you feel like a different person almost. Mm-hmm. That you are, you're, you can even have a thought like, oh, I'm not feeling bad, I need to pull myself out of this. But you just, it, it, it's difficult to understand how, like, because you just, you're like, well, but I'm just in, encased in this. Yeah. And so then you get out of it and you just are like, what, how, how was I even thinking those things or, yeah. or that? So I don't know if, if um, I guess those things, they can change, like you're talking about neuroplasticity and stuff. They definitely change. I mean, they can also change... Like, change is happening all the time. So sometimes there are, like, deep-rooted changes that are things that we've learned from the past or that we're learning. But sometimes even within, like, a day, things can change because, you know, our, our hormones are always... Like, our hormones are, are part of the neurochemistry that help the brain... The neuro, the neurons communicate with each other. So, so we've got the, you know, stress hormones that are associated with both depression and anxiety. Those start changing. So if we have a really... Um, intense stressful experience maybe it's lasted a whole day then you know the stress hormones are pumping out and then our body's exhausted because like that system's not designed to be on full throttle for like 24 hours it's like a quick get me out of action or get me out of the threat and move but if we experience that for 24 hours then we crash the next day like our body has to get rid of those hormones it's too too much is that sort of part of why when, because when I was like in a, a car accident myself, I was reading all about sort of trauma and PTSD kind of thing almost that that um, those like the say the traumatic memories are being I think it was within hours um, uh, of being sort of solidified in your in your brain, and I is it part of like that you're you have that adrenaline yep. initially. And then your defenses kind of almost weaken, I guess. Yeah. That and then those memories. That's like, all right, we can get in there, and you know, well, the person is sort of not able to fight them off. Almost, yep. I guess. In a well, way. I mean, in a stressful situation, we actually do like some of the stress hormones are actually helpful in forming memories, just generally. So mm-hmm. cortisol, for example, facilitates memory development. Um, so when you're in a stressful experience, there's a part of your brain that wants to remember this because mm. in, a, in a normal situation, you learn, okay, I'm a zebra and that tiger over there lurking attacks right. me. I need to remember to avoid that space and that tiger. But the zebra runs away and it's gone. It doesn't think about it again. Whereas we can start to think about things and then we get triggers like, oh, that striped thing over there that looks like a tiger. Is that a tiger? Mm. Um, and so we sort of get these triggers, which is what happens in PTSD. Mm. So it's like they're not conscious triggers. Like there's stuff that's happening and you just all of a sudden... You, you don't know why you're... Yeah, even, you're just having it again. Because I've read about that kind of thing where even sometimes, say you go into a business meeting or something and you meet somebody and you're just like, I just don't like that yeah. guy. And it's like maybe... It, it's somebody that bullied you when you were a kid and they resemble them and so like it's these weird unconscious almost things yep. that you don't realize are going on on a you know day to day basis because the guy could be the nicest guy in the world yep and it's all it's all like you know the associations I say associations and what I mean by that is like um, classical conditioning like Pavlov's mm-hmm. um, dog and those things are happening <laughs> at every level of us and so 
you know, maybe it wasn't that guy. Maybe it was like the red tie sure. that he wore, and it was associated with like a red tie of, you know, a, someone who hit you or something, or that you got into an accident with. Like you got out of your accident, and the person wearing was wearing a red tie, and then you see a red tie, and all of a sudden, you know. Uh. But you don't remember these things like at a conscious level. The brain, but the brain processes all of this. It takes all this information in, and it it's trying its best. Yeah. to to help save us for the future but sometimes it it sort of over um exaggerates uh it sort of like almost works against you're working against yourself almost. yeah and because we're also not like the zebra that runs away we sit there and say oh i almost died mm. what if what if i died what would be like i almost died i didn't say spy to this person i'm you know there's all these thoughts that are associated with this I almost died. Mm. The zebra runs away. Mm. Mm. Doesn't think about his life and his life That's purpose. Right. Yeah. I you know, so I was curious, you talked earlier about that you studied a lot of this stuff, like in relation to anxiety and depression and things like that. What was where did your interest in this come from? Did you have like a personal interest in this or You know, I didn't at the time, but um yeah, I didn't. I was interested in something else kind of connected and I ended up in this lab where we were studying anxiety and depression. But while I was there, I had a really um, intense bout of anxiety and I ended up going on medication. So this was so I got into I was in Halifax doing my PhD in 2000 and then by January of 2000 so I got there in September by January 2000 I went on anxiety medication and I was only on it for 5 months, but um, at the time, I started realizing that I did have a history of anxiety. And I didn't know that I did because I didn't live in anyone else's body. So I didn't know that feeling really, really anxious, um, feeling jittery, feeling your heart beat really loudly. Like, I didn't know that other people didn't experience this until I went on medication and everything just went calm. And I was like, wow. Oh, this is and it's and realizing it's uh it like it it's not normal not yeah. normal is a bad word but you know what I mean like it's almost got normalized in your head yeah. or in your body yeah but that's what oh I just assume everybody else is is experiencing the same things as me yeah hmm. so so then I started becoming really interested in it um, I mean it's always been a, not just about me it's not my own personal story that is also interesting but this even that other like what is it like for other people and. You know, and what are some of the causes of it? Because when I think back to my anxiety, my really bad episode, um, you know, I had, there's lots of factors that affect it. Like I'd been on the birth control pill for 10 years. I had just gone off of it. So my hormones were totally out of whack. I then started studying the effects of estrogen and on anxiety and depression. So yes. estrogen can increase anxiety. Um, so all of that was my hormones were out of whack. I was also experiencing extreme stress because my grandmother was dying of cancer. I was breaking up with a boyfriend that I had for 12 years. Like, there's like all oh, these so things. So all these things kind of almost yeah. all came around the, the And I wasn't time. sleeping because yeah. I was doing too much work. I was drinking coffee, started drinking coffee for the first time. Coffee, which a lot of people don't know, the, the sensations of being over-caffeinated, that's what being anxious feels like. Right, And, yeah. you know, like... My mom, for example, stopped drinking coffee. Um, she doesn't have much of a background in this, so she didn't realize that, like, 
that that was making her feel anxious just because she was drinking coffee hmm. part of it you know? yeah, yeah yeah but because it's this it's a it's a chemical that interacts with our brain and it interacts with our stress system so mm-hmm. and it you know makes our heart beat faster and all that stuff so you know there's a lot of um these examples of how the brain and our mental health are totally connected sometimes we induce it through the changes in the hormones and the drugs that we ingest whether they're caffeine or other kind of drugs yeah you know or sometimes it's because of the things that we see out in the environment and past learning and and i guess all of then like these things that you were talking about when you know one of those things would be stress creating stress onto itself but then once you start putting these things on top of each other they i assume they also start things start uh, anxieties from one thing start feeding into another i guess it's almost like sometimes how you know some days or sometimes you're walking down the street and or you're I'm, I'm driving and I'm like hitting every traffic light and I'm just like eh, that's just the way it is but on another day I could be like ah oh, I'm just this is not my day like it's yeah. weird how you can just interpret things and you know it's not that I'm getting stopped at every light it's like oh there's something else that's being piled on top of this yeah it's, I, I use the word load. Like, we have mm-hmm. to sort of take a check of what our load is. Um, I mean, this is sort of the essence of, like, balance, life balance and stuff and wellness that a lot of life coaches work with people on because we do, we load too much on, and sometimes it's coming at us, so we've got these deadlines, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to increase our load. Um, yeah, traffic, just traffic in general. It doesn't even have to be hitting a light, but you know what it's like driving through Toronto sometimes. That can be a load. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have, like, say you have five of these that are really, really heavy loads, you can't deal with something. Yeah. You get one extra thing, a pin that drops on top of you, yeah, and everything crumbles. Yeah. I, yeah, fascinating. Um, it's so, uh, it's because it's, there, there seems to be so much to talk about and to study and to think about in these areas and these all these connections with mental health and you know the biological aspect and all of this but there seems to be so much that we still don't really we're still trying to figure out yeah in a way. yeah for sure um but so you have like a podcast and you have your life coaching like maybe if you want to just we'll wrap up uh, tell people a little bit about where they can find more information about the kind of stuff you do yeah well my podcast, Mandyland, um, which is at mandyland.ca, is actually, we've got um, a few people, one person in particular, Dawn, who talks very openly about her experiences with anxiety and depression. And, I mean, she's very articulate. She also has a background in psychology, and she has years of therapy. So she can really talk about these things from at a, a high level, but also like a personal experience level. So I love talking to her about uh, her experiences and helping and letting her share it with other people. So, you know, if, if nothing else, those those episodes are probably worthwhile to anyone listening to this, for yeah. sure. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I mean, I like listening to people's stories, so that's what the Mandyland podcast is about. And, um, and then life coaching is something that, you know, there's lots of people who have, you know, there's, there's very severe clinical depression, anxiety, and tho- those people will benefit likely from seeing a therapist, uh, a, psychologist or you know psychiatrist if they need to 
But there's also sort of these subclinical experiences of anxiety and depression, and there's a lot that a life coach can help with for that. Just like getting people to recognize patterns and develop some more self-awareness over it, and yeah, and just come up with like some strategies, like reducing your load. You know, how can I manage my life a little bit better to reduce some of the triggers associated with my experiences? So, yeah. so that's what I do. Also, is life coach and. Uh, train others to become life coaches great well thank you so much for coming on uh with me to like we've been on i you've been on my podcast before i've been on yours you know hopefully we'll talk Back again and forth. soon yes <laughs> thank you that's great i feel like there's so much more it's so it's hard for me to talk about this with you because we've talked enough about it that I just start going on to these big like tangents yeah um, well, I don't know how useful it's going to be for listeners though oh no it's great that's all that's what I was just interested in is is the is kind of like um I I didn't really I didn't I don't it, it's one of those things where I feel like I just had this idea that I wanted to do these these episodes on this and talk to a few people in a general way and I feel like I just like you know just do it and then see how it how they work together yeah. you know like I was like usually I have a pretty good plan going in of like okay this is what's the sort of strategy with this but with these ones I'm like it'll kind of come to the surface how they're gonna yeah. sort of fit together I don't know because it might be interesting they might even work together mm-hmm. where it's like I I'll, I'll cut in Right. you know the different people right yeah if you're if there's some Sounds overlap right. or there's things that are like that you're talking about the same thing but from like a different perspective yeah I don't know yeah and I I guess what I want people to do when they're listening to stuff about mental health is to to think about it and not like I could talk about all the different neurotransmitters and brain regions but people uh-huh. that doesn't really help people usually you know it's understanding the relationship between the brain or that there is one. I think that's the biggest thing needed for mental health is to reduce the stigmas, to recognize that these are, for whatever reason, people don't appreciate that they're physical experiences. And we put more value on physical experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a broken leg, people give much more sympathy and understand more what happens then. But when you have a, you know, a mental illness, people don't appreciate it and yeah. respect it the same way. Yeah, yeah, and it's tough. It's like, um, I mean, I think we're we're getting it's getting better. But I went so last year because I talked to you about this, and this just sort of this is how long it takes. It's the mental health system is it's tricky because over almost a year ago I went to go talk to a psychiatrist through my family doctor mm-hmm. and he said hey why don't you do a CBT course right through cam age I just they just called me two weeks ago really Wow. to do and, it, and it's not even starting yet it it was a, a information session yeah. to come in and like sign some forms and stuff and they're like they start in the fall but you guys are all still on a waiting list and they were they were very like apologetic like we're sorry this is, takes forever but yeah. this is sort I mean, of they they don't have the resources do, you know so it's it's a shame because there are these things out there 
for people to be able to educate themselves more and be able to help themselves. Yeah. But um, but if everyone started doing that, then the waiting list would be even longer, so it wouldn't yeah. even be that helpful. So yeah. But yeah. Here, let me just grab this and I can like, oh, yeah. sort of pack things up to sort of get you out of here. Come on.